My heart skips skipping the beach You're not close enough So that space between you and me Let's lose it The way you're dancing Swaying to the music Girl, that body and how you move it Every time you cross my mind Girl, I lose it Alexa, play the Country Heat playlist Okay With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Welcome to Smalley Marriage Radio. I am Michael Smalley, and I have actually in studio today, so at the headquarters... I got two very special guests. One one guest is super special. Hey. The other one just tagged along. You know what? Yeah. I know where that comment was directed. You can hear her now. Her name is Rochelle, who is the daughter. Yes. Of, of, the, of the special guest. Reside. Like you reside in a house. I know. Or I kind of thought you were a spy when I first saw your last name. From France. Yes. A French or spy. somebody in construction who resides houses. Wow, Tim is bringing the knowledge. What have you brought so far, Rochelle, to this interview? A lot of snarkiness and sarcasm. <laughs> and some attitude before we recorded, actually. <laughs> some judging. Well, so. it wasn't judging. It was professional professional was ego that was shining. It was, and you were very helpful. And we also have in studio, but she will be the silent guest of another very special person. Would you like to introduce her? The wife of Tim Reside that's oh. talking. And the mother of the snarky one, <laughs> yes, Nancy Ann. Nancy reside. Ann reside. So I got a family thing going here because I have known Rochelle. Mm-hmm. You are a radio personality. Yeah, I yeah. won't say where. In well, you, we could say Houston. Uh, maybe. Oh. Maybe it's Houston, Missouri. In my own mind. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so we have done stuff together and have become friends yes. quickly. And then I heard about your father, who runs a ministry called Bright Tomorrows, and it is reflecting the compassion of Jesus Christ to those with mental health concerns. To be honest, one of the main reasons why I thought you guys should connect um, was because Michael is a great storyteller, and my dad is an incredible storyteller. And I also have mental health concerns. And they're, well, I was, <laughs> you know, I was going to drop the snark, <laughs> but I can don't, bring it on back. We can resurrect that. Don't drop. Please don't <laughs> drop the snark. So, so yes, yeah, so Rochelle was the one who kind of said we got to get together and do something, and I think I may have even been talking about the Guarantee Smalley School yes. of Marriage and Family, yes, and how one of the courses, it's the kind of the goal of the school that that we're launching is to put out into the church workforce pastors who can do marriage and family ministry effectively. But one of the things is I have an entire course, not just on, because it's not a counseling degree. This is a ministry degree. So I have one, a course that, uh, for the PhD program that is uniquely approaching mental health, I think probably very similar to what your ministry is doing. So it's not about my students learning how to diagnose and treat, and, but more like how do we understand it, how do we recognize it, but more importantly, how do we love people? effectively, who might have mental health issues. But this is, you know, I think this is what you told me, Tim, is a ministry born out of your own life experience. Born out of my life experience. Uh, Hard words to say at a time in my past, I live with a bipolar disorder, which means I'm categorized as a man with a mental health challenge who knows episodes of mental illness. That's obviously not something people are signing up for, jumping up and down to talk about. Yeah. But in 1979, at age 29, I had a major mental health collapse, a full psychotic meltdown. I'm 68 years old now, so that's a few years ago. Yeah, so how old were you in 79? 29 years of age. 29, I think you said that. Scared to death, didn't know what happened. My wife found herself living with a guy she didn't recognize, my children, including Rochelle, with a daddy that just did not act like the daddy they knew. <clears throat> and we didn't know what we were dealing with. It well, took, and I, and I'm it took years to get clarity well, in terms and in of diagnosis. 
there wasn't a lot of good help. No. I mean, they were probably still doing Lord knows what. Well, they people. weren't lobotomizing. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, they no. finally quit doing Maybe that. Maybe shock. Uh, shock treatments. Okay. In this case, they treated it as a schizophrenic episode. Not as wow. schizophrenia per se, but that was as close as they could uh, pin the tail on the donkey, so yeah. to speak. So they hit you up with heavy dosages of antipsychotic drugs, really heavy doses, to crash the heck out of you. Yeah, it's, and not that, the, it's not the stuff that some people, they, they would, I don't know, it's pay not typically, for. It's not right. typically the meds but, they use today. No. So years went by of processing that. Uh, long story how, short. How long did that last, though, that uh, break? Well, I was in the hospital for five weeks, and my wife thought, now he'll come home normal. Okay. We went through 18 months of really back and forth in across the psychotic line, and then it was another probably a total of three years, Ooh. we were in really a hellish place. And the diagnostic people were saying, do not return to ministry, which was what my life had been about. Do not return to counseling. Do no. not return to pressure. Why would they, what was their rationale pressure. for that? Pressure. Ah. Stress is the factor. Okay. Uh, you have a genetic liability here, apparently, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Something broke severely. You're going to end up probably an institutionalized guy, so don't go back and do that stuff. It's kind of like the silly story, you know, Doc, every time I lift the right arm, it hurts. Well, quit lifting Stop the right arm, that. so quit doing it. Yeah. But for me, it was like a death sentence. It was like God's done with you. Of course, that's what your life was all about, your call, your sense of mission in life, but don't do it anymore. Now, were you pastoring? I had been an associate pastor. I'd been a children's pastor. Uh, well, actually, up to that point, a youth pastor. Yeah. Later, a children's pastor. And that's all I knew. It's all I loved to do. So now I was out trying to find floors to mop, literally, toilets to clean, literally, lawns to mow, literally. That's what I was doing with the assumption that's all I could do. Anything and, to provide for us. And do yeah. you remember this time, Rochelle? In 79, I don't, but I, I remember the story well. And it's okay. it's a pretty incredible picture. Dad, is it okay if we, we share just... Uh, Tell you want. Well, I remember um, from a young age, uh, after his second, uh, I guess we could call it breakdown or relapse. Yeah, 1988, I had another over the top yeah. breakdown. I'll never forget the night that we drove home from my aunt's house. My mom had sent us over to her sister's house, and we drove home in silence, and my mom is a very uh, a loving, even though she's very quiet, she's very gracious and always filled with joy. She was calm that night, and I could sense something's wrong, and she said, Daddy's not well. And I just started crying, and I remember it was probably because she was trying to come to grips with it, and she was trying to say, you know, everything's going to be okay. It came across harsher than she usually would share. She said, Rochelle, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> She's trying to, you know. Yes, and that, that even, uh, I quickly stopped trying to cry, you know. But uh, it, was, it was in the following days after I heard about the, f the first time that Dad really just wasn't acting like Dad, and I was just a baby. He left. The, he just got on a plane. He maxed out some credit cards to do it. He went to Washington, D.C. I guess he, you thought that you were going to go meet to the, see president. the president. Because when uh, bipolar disorder, which is a physiologically based mental health issue, uh, there's some kind of anomaly event in the brain that kicks this thing, and probably it's a genetically based thing. So perfect storm, stress factors in life, and kicks off. So suddenly I'm highly energized, mm -hmm. euphoric. On top of the world. Yeah. Top of the world, don't need to sleep. You could fly. And yeah. your intellect to a point is working like it never worked before, but eventually you're going to bust that thing open. Yeah. So I had busted open into psychosis without knowing it. And in initial experiences... Which is the miserable part yeah. about psychosis is... Yeah. And you, until you, you have you no. believe it all. life experience, you don't know in your first experiences with objectivity what's yeah. happening. Sure. So I knew clearly that uh, God was speaking because that was my mindset to hear the voice of God. Yeah. So now that's blended with this mental illness issue that I don't even know I have. And God is speaking. I am to get on a plane. I am to go to Washington, D.C. I am to sit down with the president. I have insights he's got to have. 
that type of thing. Yeah. Needless to say, when the family discovers <laughs> that I have, in fact, gone to Washington, D.C., and the president didn't bother to be in the White House that day. Uh, he didn't get the... They, get the memo. they played some sneaky tricks on how to get me back to Tulsa. And when they got me back to Tulsa, the next place I found myself basically was in a psychiatric unit. Okay, wait, though. I'm yeah. so sorry, but I have to figure out <laughs> what sneaky tricks did they play to get yeah. you back? Well, the first effort was to turn to people in ministry that I was working with. Okay. And explain something seriously has gone wrong. Now, these are not people that are prone to suddenly jump at you to cast out devils. Right. But they get me sat down in my parents' living room. They start see, seeing the freaky stuff that I'm doing, saying, bizarre. Yeah. And they are at the place of waving crosses in front of me and trying to... You know, they're ready to pull out all stops and do whatever. And before you get to that point, though, to get you home, um, was that what you were asking? Yeah. How did you well, get him yeah. home? Well, I had decided to call Nancy. I was pretty sure she would be thrilled that I was on a world yeah. tour. Yeah. <laughs> a world Mandated tour. by Me God. Me and Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> this is back in the day of Jimmy Carter. The peanut president. The peanut president. <laughs> and... Uh, in all likelihood, I would not have turned around and come back home. Generally, in these cases, psychosis will take you who knows where yeah. and dump you off who knows where. But I got on the phone with Nancy to update her. I thought it would be great, and she didn't sound too great. <laughs> she hands the phone to my dad. She was in the house with my father. And he gets on the line, and he says, Tim, this is your dad. Tim, this is your dad. He said that about two or three times. Because you were going a mile a minute. And my brain was moving so fast. I yeah. wasn't sleeping, didn't need to sleep. Suddenly it was this echo chamber reverberating sound, yeah. and paranoia hit me like a ton of bricks. I hung up that phone, ran out of the hotel, which happened to be one of the finest hotels outside of Washington, D.C. So when you melted down, you did it right. Oh, well, yeah. you know. Because I can't stay in a Motel 8. It tends if I'm to be see the president. It's symptomatic uh, when you're in that state. You sure. think you have resources. I'd bought three lovely suits to wear to be presentable. I'd yeah. done it all. Jumped in my rent a car, got on the highway, just panicked out of my gourd. But again, in that state, you begin to readjust a norm. Okay. I just need to get on a plane, head back to Tulsa, calm these folk down. Then I will resume yeah. the Your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Therein uh, lies the grace of God for my life experience. Yeah. Because no, who knows where I would have ended up. So I landed in Tulsa. These dear folk attempted to try to deliver me Which from whatever sad, this was. Because that's, that's not an uncommon thing. That was the only, that's what they had in their toolbox. Yeah. And it's not, yeah, because it's not done... In a well, cruel way. But to this day, sometimes, you, those are the reactions that yeah. sometimes you get at church. Pray it yeah. out. Yeah, oh, for Pray sure. Pray it out, um, which absolutely God can heal. We still believe in a healing God, but that wasn't the journey that the Lord is showing Dad other ways to help in healing process. Well, and it's interesting. My PhD is in psychology, and it's still interesting the kinds of looks I'll get from mm. regular Christian folk who oh, just kind of want to go, that's fake, fake stuff. fake doctor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. not real stuff, and it's... And it's fascinating, and and my personal belief—I don't know what yours is, Tim—but that it can be, it can be both or either. It could yeah, be a psychological a, disorder. It could be a demonic issue, well, spiritual sure. warfare, or it could be both. I'll, I'll give you my little theology on it because I yeah. do talk about this a lot. Now I'm some years down the road from the storyline, which we can right. return to in a minute to get me in yes. the hospital that you want to get me into. I don't know why you're wow. so quick. You don't have to go to back to want to get me into that hospital. I don't have to go back to Scottsdale. But the theology of my life experience was God is a healing God. Right. And when you see anything that looks like what I looked like, you assume some kind of demonic activity. And it was basically only one way to deal with that. So everybody that was attempting to help me that way were well-intentioned people. Yes. But what I've come to say in my public presentations these days is I start out with church folk. I believe in miracles because I believe in God. But if we limit the definition of healing mm -hmm. 
to only cure. Not all healing is realized as full-blown cure. And if you won't let me have access to the therapeutic benefits, blessings of healing, I won't have grace sufficient to survive what is for me a chronic life health challenge. Amen. So I believe I in healing in that more. sense. Yeah, and, and healing is not always miraculous looking. Mm-hmm. It's not like the goiter's gone, right? You yeah. know, like it's just left or his leg has grown out a new leg. Uh, my dad, I, I donated a kidney to my father, and it's pretty normal for the recipient of that to start getting nervous and being like, oh, you know, especially a believer like my father was, mm-hmm. who's graduated to heaven in March of 2016. But it, you know, it was about three days before the surgery, and my dad called me over to his home, and he's like, look, I'm calling off the, the transplant. Mm-hmm. And I went, what do you mean? Because I'd already gone through all the trauma of being yeah. evaluated. Which was my first comedy. It's a big show. deal. And yeah, there were things touched that I don't ever no. get to forget. Wow. And so I, I just looked at him and went, What are you talking about? You're canceling. Why would you cancel? He goes, I believe, I have faith that God's going to heal me. And I just like put my hand on him lovingly and went, Has it ever occurred to you the miracle mm-hmm. of God's creation that there are humans that learn how to take a kidney out of my body, mm-hmm. carry it across a room? And attach it to your body. Yeah. I go. Why can't that be the miracle? And it feels similar yeah. to what yeah. you're saying. Is that I, I, I've look. T- I took medication today, Mike, and you better be grateful to God that I <laughs> did. <clears throat> and the reason that my wife and I are able to be available to people and help them process this significant challenge when it hits the door of their lives is because I am accessing healing resources. Yes, spiritual resources, my prayer life, psychological coping resources, mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. But my medications dug up out of God's green earth mm-hmm. that science has discovered some ways to manipulate and work with, just like they do other health remedies, has helped me to live to this age. Not very many years ago, people with my particular form of bipolar disorder did not live to be viable at my age, living really? a, a quality life. Right. And not too many decades earlier than when I was born, I would have been set up for probably being institutionalized. Permanently. Some cases, people were lobotomized, yeah. literally. Mm-hmm. I know. You were a little nervous when you came into my studio. I was, because there's a drill <laughs> Yeah, there's a drill on my on desk. On Mike's desk. What because has my he wife, heard? My wife made me, you, you notice some of on the walls here, I have some attractive, like, They're sound beautiful. deadening whatever things yes that maybe we're showing those at the proper term. <laughs> yes, I do. The carpet's on the wall. Yeah, the carpet's <laughs> on the wall. And so I had the top three, but I had like been six but months, see, and I hadn't done the bottom three. And I, Mike, you have, you have to remember because of you that when they pick up a guy, and we're talking two sheriff deputies that picked me up in 79. Yeah. I can still tell you how that happened because that's still a part of the story you don't have. And they took me to the hospital, and they punched the 14th floor, which I learned later was, in fact, the 13th floor, which seems a perfect floor for a psychiatric (laughs) unit, people to be put in, and they try to hide it. They think because you have a psychiatric illness that you're stupid. We counted the floors and figured out. Well, wait a minute. And they lock the doors behind you, and all that's going through your mind is a room that is padded. Yeah. And then you walk into a man's room who says he's going to do an interview with you, and he has a drill and a padded room. Really? You get a little nervous. It's a little nervous, Doc. You get a little oh, nervous. Come on. I feel bad about the drill. You now. brought all that up. Didn't and on you? top of that, really my bad. daughter said to call you Doc. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's really <laughs> Sorry. What the heck's wrong with you? Mike, apologize. That's your name. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you how I did get into the hospital. Yeah, the first I know. Time so out. we need to go back to that. So, meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> So I was in that home, and these dear people were getting nowhere fast and trying to help me. Finally, they called a doctor friend of mine, a man who I'd actually been responsible for discipling, bringing to a a healthy place uh, in his Christian walk. And so it was somebody I trusted. And he walked into the room, and actually a back bedroom in the house. He had a calming effect on me just because I was comfortable with him. 
I'll, I'll always remember I said to him, these people are nuts, yeah. Jim. Get me out of here. This is what, yeah. And he used that. I didn't realize what he was doing, but he said, I'll get you out of here. Let me get you a room at the hospital just for the night so that you can get some rest. I can tell you're pretty exhausted. Okay, we'll go there. So I stayed the night in the hospital, only the next morning to get up early and leave the hospital. Now, what I didn't understand legally at that point in time is I just handed my family a way to get me help. Now, I'm running around the city, literally went to the police department. For a while, I was hiding behind a pop machine, scared to death, didn't know what to do. Walked into the police department, said, there's this cult that captured me last night, and they won't let me go. I need to get out of the city. Is there any way I can get help? And they gave me bus tokens. I began to ride buses around the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Finally, I got off the bus in my family's neighborhood and decided to go to the church that my parents attended. In fact, church where later I became a pastor for uh, 16 years on staff at many, some years later. So I showed up at this pastor's office, and uh, he keeps getting on the phone, and I'm not quite sure what he's up to. But when I walk out of the pastor's office, there were two sheriff deputies waiting to escort me to that psychiatric ward because I had walked out of the hospital Mm -hmm. and had not signed out or been signed out. They had a legal basis to take me into custody. Uh, That was a God thing. Yeah. Again, who knows where I would have ended up. So that's how I got into the hospital. Mm. How, what is that like, Rochelle, to hear your father's story. Some of those elements I'd not heard before. Uh, you bought three suits to see Jimmy Carter? <laughs> it was minimum two, and I think it was three, wow. but I, I can swear to two. But I... I Three-piece, s- no less. You know, it's interesting oh, just to hear all of the things that he and my mom... Um, one of my mom's statements that she's made... Um, many times over the years to share with people who might be struggling with this. They've just found out their spouse is dealing with the mental health issues or, or maybe they're kind of on the same side of what is this? I don't even know what this is. Um, was when my husband was not my husband, God was my husband. Mm. So she's leaning heavily on the Lord in this and um, not wanting to uncover him. That's also been something very, very dear in, in her walk with the Lord. I don't want to uncover my spouse, this teammate that you've given to me. But she is turning to his family, and they are working now as a team to try to figure things out. And then dad is like, when I don't want to take away from the story because I want you to go right back to where you were. My recollections are mainly after what happened in 80, 88, 89. Yeah. And it's like as soon as hearing your father talk about these things, because I'm curious, because what I appreciate about Bright Tomorrows is Mm -hmm. that. Uh, and you so far, Tim, and apparently you had met my father and mother back in 1991, I think, yeah. Branson, going to a yeah. movie, which is a safe assumption. That was after medication. That was when yes, he I wasn't was, stalking. So I wasn't stalking people. I was, I was <laughs> actually Gary, stable. Gary's bullies of the devil. Your dad seemed a little unstable that day. He, but. he was definitely unstable. <laughs> well, and one of the things people appreciate about my father, and I think they, you know, I get the same kind of compliment comments and i and i hear it in you as well is most people would be ashamed to talk about these things um i have a a a couple podcasts ago uh posted one of my sermons i did in south africa after i had gastric bypass surgery and i think eight people Mm -hmm. ten people after that sermon came to a relationship with christ and i i feel strongly that the holy spirit uses these moments of Mm -hmm. vulnerability when they hear a pastor from the front going, it was so dark. Yeah. I had been so disobedient. I had done this and failed here, and, and then God still comes through. I don't understand why that's an issue for people when that's what that's how we buy the infomercial junk. Have you thought about that? Yeah, oh, this true. worked for me, and now look at it, and then that's why you make the phone call. The only way that people are going to relate to you is if you, you just get real. Well, and we all are messed up. Yeah. So what are you what are you trying to hide? Come and the on. best part is what I tend to tell people is, uh, and just to make sure you understand, you're not hiding it well. <laughs> like we get it, right? I had an eating yeah. disorder. I ate too much, uh, addiction, mm. and you can't hide that, right? You can't hide bipolar. It's gonna come out. 
And so, I, I don't know. I like dragging things out in the light, so I appreciate that. So, I want to get back. Okay. Well, now are we in the yeah, 88? I, I agree. And you're back in Tulsa? Yeah. Let me back the truck up a little bit there. Uh, yeah, we're all broken in some way. Uh, for those listening, I want to clarify something. I, too, hear often what we really appreciate, Tim, is your vulnerable, your vulnerability, your willingness to be transparent about this. Uh, people will go to our website, and I've posted my telling of this story. And we hear from people that are in the middle of the pain and the shock and awe of it, and here's somebody that's been there. They've survived. They're struggling, yes, but blah, blah, blah. But I did not get to this moment in time easily. Yeah, We're talking years of time. Mm-hmm. A period of time where I didn't want anybody to know. Mm. In fact, we tell folk in our support groups, you shouldn't be running around and telling everybody yeah. because not everybody's a safe person. Mm-mm. You're better to be in a truly safe support group kind of context where you can learn how to process that openly where you know it's safe and then begin to discover where are the safe relationships. And then you may discover a day where you sense it's God's will for you to share this helpfully with somebody. You may not be ordained, as I came to feel that I was, to go this public. Because when I went this public, there were losses I had to be prepared to experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't get invited to do speaking engagements of the nature I would have anticipated I would be doing today. Once it was out there, oh, Maybe some of that enthusiasm mm-hmm. is when he's up there in a manic state. Mm-hmm. Now, before, they loved my energy. They found it motivational. So long story short there. Uh, so we went for several years after that first hospitalization. As far as we knew, uh, all that we were left with was to pay our bills, love each other as a husband and wife, and we had two little kids. And that time between your breakdowns, it's just people should, because it's like, well, what what happened in between? Yeah. There, there was a significant, I mean, his balance was, I'm sure that there were still daily challenges. and. Well, during the... During, it looked normal. During the 18-month period around that first hospitalization, it was totally back and forth roller coaster right. all over the map. Then for about a three-year or so period, we were... Cleaning toilets. We were yeah. mowing lawns. We were, I was working in a warehouse. Nancy was taking and typing. We were doing whatever. We were doing yards, garage sales every week by having people give to our garage sales so we could get pizza for the kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But one thing we knew how to do was disciple because we had been invested for years with college age young adults and high school young adults and uh, uh, a navigator type approach for those that know the navigators out of Colorado Springs. And it was referred to as a charismatically styled charismatic discipleship ministry. And we did college campus ministry. So we knew we have two people to disciple. One of them's named Matthew. That's my son. The other's Rochelle, my daughter. That's the extent of our ministry. That's clearly our ministry. We got involved in the church where that pastor who got me Hooked up with the sheriff's deputies. Yeah. Bless his name. (laughs) But we discovered him to be a wonderful man. And so we started going to that church. And one day we showed up in a program for kids that had scripture memory and all kinds of things going in it. Stuff dovetailed with what we were doing with our kids. And we said, we can't just send our kids. We got to show up, volunteer. We've been trained that way. I'm a preacher's kid. I understand. Church needs the help. It wasn't too many months down the road before they came to us and said, you're obviously good at this. Would you and Nancy take this on? Now, we had worked with these older kids and college kids and young marrieds, never had worked with children, but we said, this looks like a God thing. And just the thought that I was going to be able to minister again in any context was mind-boggling to me at that moment in time. No money. For three years, it was totally, or two years, totally volunteer. But one day that pastor came to me and said, we've been really monitoring this. Uh, I and the board are aware of the health issues. 
uh, we're not broadcasting this, you know, get up and tell all the parents of the children, we have a guy working with your kids who yeah. <laughs> runs periodically yeah. to Washington, D.C. Doesn't to, uh, make for a nice headline. So they, they, they were cautious on that. And he said, we would like to have you for the summer take full responsibility for the children's program work here. And if this works out for us and for you, bring you on my staff as a full associate. And it was a staff of six associates he had at the time. And also put you and your wife over the children's ministry. I went out that day mowing lawns, crying, crying, crying. Recovery, restoration. This was not possible. The psychiatrist said it wasn't possible. Never go back to it. So I'm on staff for couple of years, bring me on, or excuse me, a couple of years voluntarily, then on staff for what turned out to be 16 years. But several years in, mm-hmm. 1988, the symptoms showed up again. I began to slide into mania. I don't know what it is about Colorado Springs. It was after a trip to Colorado Springs. And psychotic features began to manifest. Nancy's seeing them. She's terrified hoping others will see that care about me. She doesn't want to see her husband exposed to public shame again. We've kind yeah. of, That's rear view mirrored. We think we're done with that. Again, at that point in time, the medical people still were fuzzy on yeah, diagnoses. Yeah. So they didn't follow it up well. I was back off of medication. And now I have a full-blown psychotic break. I have to be put in the hospital again. The blessing is now science is getting more up to date. And they basically walk in the room and say, everything we're seeing says bipolar disorder, what we call bipolar one with psychotic features. This is a critical form. This is a life impacting and potentially life jeopardizing form. So you're going to have to get on a medication, learn how to effectively cope, et cetera. So that same pastor, instead of putting me out to pasture, continued to make a place for me, gave us time to recover, came slowly back into my staff position, resumed my position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll ever, he's 86 years old. I just wrote him a note the other day thanking him again. And I was able to return to collegiate work. I was told never to return to academic work. Uh, finished with a master's degree, uh, 70 some hours of master's work. Did 36 hours of doctoral work. But I have to be honest, it was a tough road to hoe because of some of the challenges I have. And at a point in time in my doctoral work, I did have to stop because of the challenges I have. I, I, we had to recognize this is getting unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So how do you then, how do you encourage a family that might be listening and maybe they have a spouse or they have a child or they have a parent as dealing with mental health issues, serious mental health issues, what's your chief encouragement for that that person listening? How can what do they do to get help? Where well, do they go? What's when you're dealing with people that have a this type of a disorder, bipolar disorder, or some of the depressive disorder activities that go on? Those are called mood disorders mm-hmm. because they affect the mood and. Uh, there are different types of depressions, but there are some of uh, about 20% of depressions are based in an anomaly like bipolar disorder is. And for bipolars, it's pretty much 100% of people that have bipolar disorder. This is a lifetime challenge. Mm-hmm. Most people are in big time denial. A lot of folk, if they're adults in particular, you're going to have a rough time getting them to go to treatment and follow through. Because of the nature of the disorder. First thing. I don't need it. What would I need help for? When we sit down with those people, the family members, the support givers, the freaked out <laughs> friends, yeah. you've got to get educated. Start getting informed. You've got to start to learn everything that there is Do you have a learn. book that you recommend yeah. more than others? Well, we, we do support groups for those people, and we meet with those people, and we work with materials that are put together by the Grace Alliance folk in Waco, Texas. Oh. Matt Stanford, Dr. Matt Stanford. Oh, that's the book I'm using. Okay, well, for my Matt, course in the school. Matt's a friend yeah, of Matt. Matt's a friend of ours, and uh, oh. Joe Padilla down in Waco. That's now, and I Matt's here now. Yeah, I know. As you know, here in Houston, yeah. and Joe's 
still in Waco. So we've used their materials for a number of years. They have the best Christ-centered, faith-affirming, hope-inspiring. Now here's the last piece. Clinically well-informed material that I've come across. That matters. The clinically well-informed matters because even in my doctoral work, even though I knew I was never going to work in a hospital, never going to work with, you know, with with serious mental health uh, issues, going through and learning that stuff and the DSM and the the psychopharmacology and the, I mean that is real and it's important that someone is educated. Well, with, with, on, on, in terms of who you get help, and I want to mention here, Tim, because we haven't yet, but the website is brighttomorrows with an s dot org. So if you're listening. And you're thinking, we need help, or I'd love a support group, especially if you're in and around, because you live in the Houston area? Or are no, you we're still in Tal- up in... We're in Tulsa, but okay, we, can, in we Tulsa. can connect you. Okay, good. If if they will email me, timreside@brighttomorrows.org, I will, with, within 48 hours, I'll respond. And if we're not in the same area with resources uh, to offer them, uh, given where they're at, we'll get them connected. Great. If- and I'll have a link directly to the site on on this podcast episodes page. It's really important to to be hopeful because it's not a death sentence. Your life isn't over. You think, well, what's life after this? You know, the fact that the Lord had a church family built in and around these, these um, if you go to, through the timeline, you know, they met these incredible people at this church. And now... One of his dearest friends, uh, who's on the board of Bright Tomorrows, was one. I'll never forget this story, and I've had the pleasure of sharing it on the air. When you need to be there for somebody and you don't know what to say, one of the best gifts that this man gave to my dad was just going into that dark room that he didn't light up with the light switch, because that's where he was at. That was where dad was at. And he just sat there next to him, sat there with him in his pain. And uh, the benefit also of, of being able to now speak into the lives of so many people. It wasn't the journey dad would have chosen for himself, but God chose it. And he and my mom said, okay, not my will, your will be done. And, you know, I, I have my own mental health issues. I have obsessive compulsive disorder for which I take medication for. My little boy has Asperger's syndrome. I do not think I would have handled anything well in my world and in my life, especially when it comes to my children, if my parents had not been there for me and had been through the things that they've been through. And I know I'm not the only one who says that to this day. Yeah, and it sounds like not only committed to to you and to each other and Nancy to you, Tim, but um, patient. And that's that's a big thing I think people miss is, you know, there's... Well, I've prayed. I once had a client who... um, Oh, I can't remember what he was praying for. I mean, it was, ah, I'm forgetting what he was praying for. But it was so funny because I was talking about patience. And he goes, well, I've been praying. I go, well, how long have you prayed for this? Uh, like two weeks? And I think, well, it could take 10 years. I mean, just, you know, yeah. and I feel like people get so sort of results driven with God. Yeah. That, hey, I've been praying for this like three days now. And I've even fasted, Lord. What? Where's he? Sometimes you just sometimes you make it through stuff by hanging in there. You by do by the hair of your chinny chin chin. There's also the miracles within the non-miracle, though. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Here is, I I became aware, I'll say by the grace of God, finally of the fact that I was so obsessed with getting the cure miracle that I was missing the miracles of grace happening all around me that were there for my healing, though not in this present life to date, for my cure. And if we don't find ways to bring a healing message to people that appreciates what I just said there, then we're leaving them with false hope as they keep chasing around for a miracle cure. Now, I never tell people to quit believe in God, but there can be a point in time when you finally realize God is saying my grace is sufficient. You need to begin to tap into my healing grace in therapeutic terms for the long haul, the day by day. Now, I've experienced in my life what I would call miracle cures, things that were cause to affect real big deals, 
the cause is now gone. The effect is no longer there for my life. So I'm grateful for that. This is one event. I've got a couple others in my life that I've never seen, as they say in the medical world, the ideological piece of it taken care of. The cause that effect is still in play. Now, if I had spent all of my life, and a part of it I did spend this way, chasing after that cure, I would not be here today being a help to anybody because I would just be in that state of obsession and despairing. I would have despaired by now. No. I'd like to say to folk out there uh, in answer to that question you gave previously, first of all, something like 16 to 17% of people in America will this year experience a depressive episode. Hmm. What a lot of people don't realize is the smaller percentage of folk that experience bipolar disorder, 2.7% roughly, uh, they deal with depression. Bipolar depression is actually more crippling and uh, painful for bipolars than their experience with mania. You might say the mania and the psychosis for the observer is the sexy part. It's what gets the attention. Yeah. But where we suffer most traumatically is on the depression end. People with my kind of bipolar disorder, we experience significant depression at least on a four-to-one basis oh, yeah. compared with hypomanic levels of mania. Dad, do you have an example? Some have experiences of 40 to one episodes of depression to any kind of euphoric uh, up. So that depression piece is important there. When you say depression, you know, uh, there's the, there's, like you said, that a lot of people will experience a depression event um, that can feel crippling, but with, with this kind of depression, is there a way that you can describe it when you're, um, when you're dealing with it on a chronic basis? Well, 80% roughly they say of depressions out there are going to prove fixable, curable if they go for help. Because if you have a loss of a loved one, for example, you can literally go into clinical depression and that'd be a biochemical event in the brain. And you may need some medical attention. Does not have to become a chronic issue. But some percentage, and they say probably 20% of those depressions are of the chronic uh, nature. Bipolars, they're kind of locked into most of them deal with this throughout their life. Uh, This is not a Monday, had a rough weekend, don't want to go to work, feel the blues kind of depression. We're talking lights are out. We're talking pervasive sadness. We're talking it feels like to walk around you've got cement boots on. Uh, Depression can either affect you, you can't get out from under the blankets, or if it's of a bipolar type, It can be what they call a mixed state type. So it can actually be an energized depression, which is one of the most Mm. severe forms of it. So these people aren't under the covers. They're navigating. They're more likely to be suicidal and to act out their suicidal thoughts because of an energized, agitated uh, depression. So there's what you might call garden variety depression, and there's variants of types of depression. And that's why we do need medical uh, people's attention. Yeah, well, which is why you know people don't need to be afraid of the professional community either, Mm-mm. and especially when you're dealing with issues of mental health. That that has to. I, what I've appreciated, Tim, is throughout you have made sure to say, you know, you got to get help holistically. So holistically, you that's can't the word. Just ignore your spiritual life, and you don't want to ignore being discipled and discipling others, and you don't want to ignore. Uh, you know, just your walk with God, and you don't want to ignore the medical part of of mental health. And it's funny how Christians just really often fight that. I don't want to take a pill for depression. Uh, you know, I'm treated for ADD, so I take Vyvanse. And it's interesting the looks I'll get from time yeah. to time. Like, you just need to control it. I w- and I always want to go, well, that's easy for someone who doesn't have this or has never dealt with that, you know, Shonda, Good luck. Shonda Pierce once said that this lady came up to her in regards to her anxiety that she was dealing with, and it was after the loss of her husband. And this lady said, well, you know, you should just pray it away. And Shonda said, okay. The lady was wearing glasses. She said, why don't you take those off and try driving home tonight and just pray it away? 
mm-hmm. and just trying to put it in terms that people can understand, just like you would treat diabetes with insulin, you would treat this yeah. chemical disorder as well. And I think one of the, I really do believe one of the reasons why the Lord allowed my dad and my mom to go through this is because he saw strength. He saw the strength and character of himself in his kids mm. because he knew that he was going to be able to use them in a mighty way so that the church could connect. They have been invited all over to, to share their story so that they could share from a pulpit. This is a thing. Yeah, this real. This is a real thing. And um, if for no other reason... Um, and I'm, as you can tell, I'm a little bit proud. I'm very proud yeah. of my parents. And, and so you should be. as you asked me earlier, we're like, well, how does it feel when you hear them say those things? There's never been, I, I, I don't feel shame because and that's told, what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Cause I can tell that I know that I sensed it and I, that's what I want people to hear. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't, I, I, uh, our brokenness isn't shameful. It is what it is. It means that we're broken. We I need know. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and someday we'll die. And we get relieved of all this junk. Oh, thank God! One Wait of the for that day. one of the things I underscore when we discuss this with people, though, is that mental illness is still one of the most stigmatized mm. uh, labels you can get put on you. Now, today, addiction is increasingly because we're seeing uh, uh, addiction taking place in circles that it didn't used to take place in. So it's a hard one to bring. Uh, bring out in the open but the stigma aspect of it there's a a real reason why people want to hide i'm still wanting to be as effective as i can for anybody that's listening saying but what can i do next if you went to that website brighttomorrows.org look uh, look for our audio uh, visual section click on there and you'll find a couple of videos that are me telling my story. Look for the one that looks like my comprehensive storytelling. It's about a 40-minute or so presentation. That'll put you in touch with some things right there. Uh, The next thing I would say is get informed, and we do show resources there, but even begin to Google and look for credible sources Uh, not just anything that's on there, but people that are obviously major mental health people and and plug in bipolar disorder. And if they're aware of organizations like uh, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or major organizations, go to one of their sites or uh, DBSA, which is Depression Bipolar Support Alliance. That's a secular organization, terrific organization, great information, both for people with the diagnosis and for family members. So I would highly recommend that they consider doing that. The things we've seen with our people through the years, 17 years going on, 18 years, that Nancy and I have been doing support group work and sharing our story, doing consultation work with people, coaching work with people. We also do breakfast for ministers, Mm. and we bring them together with their counterpart in the clinical field. As we've been doing this support group work, we found that people with the diagnosis, once they've gotten over the hurdle of denial so blocking them from going into a door with a family member or friend and getting a full workup and getting some clarification started on diagnosis, which that's up front, and begin the path of discovering what medications can help. And that can be frustrating. That doesn't all happen overnight. Yes, there are side effects to medications, but there are more medication options today than ever before. And, and I encourage people, you keep trying with your doctor. Keep trying. Is keep, if something's keep not coming feeling back. out, go back. Because that first ADD med I took was Ritalin. I hated it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I felt completely. And I had, but, but what's sad is I went 10 years with nothing. Because I just thought, well, I, there is no help. And then when God got me back in, um, I, you know, I found out. Oh, lo and behold, they can treat things in any number of different ways. Yes, there so. were just a few options back in our day in '79. Yeah, there are a multitude of. So don't give up. No. In that piece, when you're going for the doctor clarification on diagnosis and medication, 
maybe there will be hospitalization involved and therapy group involvement. That's all kind of pieces of an upfront part. Then support group, a good support group. In our case, we believe that a curriculum-based support group is the way to go, not just sitting around weeping together. We pray together. We listen to each other, and we do weep together. But it's a curriculum-driven approach, and it's a faith-based approach in our group. We also see that when our people add in the piece of a good therapist, get a good working relationship with a therapist, you're going to sit with a psychiatrist for maybe 15 minutes once every so many months. You're going to get a relationship going, and it may take you a few therapists to get to the right one, but once you get a good therapist working with you, those are the people, together with support groups that have good curriculum going, that begin to learn how to monitor, self-monitor effectively, manage themselves more effectively, and even self-stabilize more effectively. They learn when hospitalizing themselves the valid way to go, but increasingly they learn if I'm doing this, I won't need to be in the hospital as often. Yeah. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time. You're down here visiting your daughter, Rochelle, and you're here in my studio. So I greatly appreciate you coming and talking about a subject that's... there are no more holes in my head than I came in the door. I know. That's so nice. I honored you. I did not go to the old ways. And you actually moved it away from me. I did. I I I appreciate it. The drill is on the other side of the room now. Don't. Now it's in his hand. (laughs) Don't be nervous about (laughs) it. Now I'm nervous again. I had to. I couldn't resist. Mike, thank thank, you Well, thank you. And thank you to the Smalleys who impacted our lives decades ago. Your dad and mom had such a great impact on our lives. I was reading your dad's stuff way back when, when you were a little... Whippersnapper. A little tyke. Yeah. No, so I thanks. That. Thanks to the smallest. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, Rochelle. Thanks, Don. Now, do you feel less jealous that you've had an opportunity to be in the studio and on the podcast? We'll see. I want my own. The other guy got his own. All right, everybody. Well, that is it for today. And don't forget his name, Tim Reside. The website is brighttomorrows.org. Check it out, and I will also have that link on this podcast episode page. Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. It's maybe the night that my dreams might let me know All the stars are closer, all the stars are closer Tell me what you gonna do to me Confrontation ain't nothing new to me you could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue, but you can't bring the truth to me. Alexa, play Kendrick Lamar and SZA. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.